Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Townend. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Janina. <laughs> nice to see you in person. Uh, nice to see you in person as well. Here, yeah. we are, here we are in Stockholm. Here we are in the office and doing podcasting. It's great to be back into a studio setting. Uh, yeah, kind of a studio setting. Yeah. We're, we're uh, squatting in an office, but it's, it's almost a studio setting. Almost a studio setting. And we had some technical issues when we recorded the interview section yesterday. I had technical issues. All of a sudden, my recording did not work the way it should be. But we hope that the sound is okay for everyone to listen. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. But now we should be talking about the mobility report. So, Paul, what is the mobility report, first of all? The, the mobility report is a, uh, is a report that we issue um, twice a year. Or maybe Ericsson it, does. Ericsson issue. Well, okay, yeah, not you and me personally. No. <laughs> <laughs> Twice a year, and it contains a lot of statistics about the mobile data traffic and mobile subscriptions. And it also contains a number of articles on mobile and mobility-related topics. Yeah. And it includes some things like Internet of Things and energy and mobile subscription, mobile services, fixed wireless access, all sorts of interesting uh, side Side topics. IoT. IoT. Anything that has to do with the mobile top connectivity is usually yeah, uh, covered uh, there. The, the topics are authored partly by Ericsson people, um, but quite often also by operators and talking about the things that, that they're involved with. Hmm. And Ericsson has a full team of people working with this report. And as this is sort of like where we can follow how 5G is developing in the world. We have had them on every time they release a new report and uh, already from the start. And just so everyone's aware, so the, the November report is sort of the, the big one, you can say, because that one covers a full new year, right? Yeah, the, the, the report is kind of five years, uh, looks five years ahead. So they're doing forecasting as well on numbers. And every November they update for, to take you one more year. So the November report gives us a, a little new horizon and then we have a, a June report which kind of fills in the, and we adjust the numbers a bit depending on what we see happening. Uh, and then sometimes we have extra reports that come, for instance, just in time for, for Mobile World Congress in the spring. February, yeah. In February. And one in August just with updated numbers so mm. we can follow the progress. So we're going to talk about mobility report, but we are not going to talk that much about mobility report. We're going to talk about the numbers in it and some of the articles in this edition of the mobility report, focusing mainly on energy efficiency. Uh, that's a very, in, a very interesting and hot topic at the moment. But who are we talking to, Janina? Yeah, we are talking to Peter Jonsson. Peter Jonsson, who's with us last time. Then he had a, one of the operators, uh, Telia, uh, talking about IoT. And this time he's brought a colleague from Ericsson uh, sustainability team, Uwe Persson, who's going to talk, and he is really an expert in energy efficiency. 
But before we start, Paul, just when we were recording yesterday, there was some big news coming out that got my eyes popping a little bit. And the headline that I saw was uh, goodbye airplane mode as the EU allows airlines to install 5G technology. Paul, what is this? Yeah, what is this? This is putting 5G on the aeroplane. And the interesting thing is we've talked about 5G in aeroplanes before, but we've actually talked about the opposite, that uh, in the US there's been a lot of discussion about 5G and the potential impact for 5G interfering with aeroplanes. So not not actually talking about putting it on the aeroplane, but not wanting to have 5G near the aeroplane. Yeah. So it's interesting to see the contrast between Europe. Now they're now talking about being able to use your 5G phone on the plane and and the US where they where they've had a slightly different approach and, and different issues there are kind of good reasons for that really if you, if you look into it what seems to be proposed here from the EU side is on the plane you would be able to use your phone for both 4G and 5G um, at lower altitudes but probably at higher altitudes which is normally when you're cruising then it would have like an on-plane private network and then it would have an off an off plane link to be able to, to take that traffic. And they talk about it uh, replacing expensive on plane Wi Fi. But I'm just a little bit wondering how the, once you get to because on plane Wi Fi also has to have an off plane link mm. by a satellite or something. Mm. So I'm just wondering how that will compare to using your phone and taking it off off plane. But we'll see how that develops. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting when we talk about private networks to see, you know, yes, an aeroplane could be a private network in itself. There will clearly be things to sort out about, well, what happens if I take a private network which is got on a 5G aeroplane and I go and land it on somebody's airport somewhere mm-hmm. that's got its own 5G network, mm-hmm. private network, and making those things work together. But if we compare what's happening in Europe with what's happening in the US, in Europe, they're talking about using the 5 gigahertz band for this, which is actually the same, more or less the same area which your 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi is, is working with. So it's, it's mm-hmm. quite similar bands to Wi-Fi. Whereas in the US, they're talking more about 3.9 and 3.1, I think, or 3.2 gigahertz. So that's a slightly lower frequency bands. And it's those bands where in the US where they've had concerns about them interfering with radar altimeter equipment. And that's the altimeter is what you use for me- measuring altitude, of course. And it's one of those things where the, when the airplane is coming into land and it wants to know exactly what the altitude is, you don't want interference from the, from the 5G network. You really so don't. That's, so that's kind no. of where the issue has been. Mm. But it looks like they have a plan at the moment to upgrade the radio altimeters to not be sens- so sensitive to out-of-band interference, which is kind of what we've been what we're talking about here. Because mm. that's what's the what you what you highlighted that they are not so precise the altimeters. Yeah, the earlier designs there was no nobody using the frequency bands mm. nearby, so it wasn't important to them to be able to to screen out. Mm. Or it wasn't as important to be able to screen out signals that are outside the band that they were working in. Yeah, what we're seeing now is is uh, that will be sorted out. So maybe by 2024, the end of 2023, you know, that will cease to be a problem in the US as well. Wow, that's fast. <laughs> well, <laughs> that is quite fast because because of course you know equipment going onto the aeroplane needs to go through approvals and uh, yeah, it will still be 
a long road. There's mm-hmm. a kind of regulatory process to follow for that as well. Mm. I just, I'm just thinking that I mean, the, I think more and more it's gone towards like you know people are they want to use their phone everywhere and it becomes a hassle when you can't when you can't connect to the internet you can't get those uh, social media messages when you're yeah. on an airplane. But, but you can understand in within the EU, EU where you have uh, you know, regulation on roaming so that you when you're abroad you can uh, you can use your phone the same as you are when you're at home then there's a big advantage in being able to sit in the plane and effectively roam on your home subscription instead of having to connect to, to third-party Wi-Fi that, that maybe you get charged for. So it, it will be interesting to see how that develops and as a as a traveler how how that is to use compared to the way things have been yeah uh, but even on aircraft wi-fi is something of a novelty and for decades there was a big no-no in terms of uh, being able to turn on phones and mm. to, to be able to use equipment with wi-fi and, and things on an aircraft yeah, yeah. because of concerns about in, uh, interference mm. yeah and of course it's important that this is done in a proper technical way. We don't want the airplanes falling down from the sky, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) This would be so good for for consumers. I mean, for for the users of the phones, like, you know, at least my mother, she's like, oh, apps, I don't understand what it is. I want an SMS or a call if you're late. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you can't do really uh, over Wi-Fi. So it looks interesting and good that it's coming. It's been a while. (laughs) That's really good uh, tech talk, Paul. And now shall we move into the mobility report? Let's talk the mobility report. Here we are again. Mobility report update. And this time, same as last time, we have Peter Johnson, or do you say Peter Johnson, on the call. Peter, nice to see you again. Nice to have you back here. And you've brought a guest also, and we'll present him a little bit later. But first, Peter, last year, when we did the 10-year anniversary of the mobility report, we had your manager, Patrick Serval, on. But now we are blessed instead with you. And I think you are better than Patrick, aren't you? You're better. Yeah, I say so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Patrick is an excellent, excellent guy, an excellent manager. So I'm happy to uh, to walk in his his footsteps. And you are now the executive editor of Ericsson Mobility Report. But can you tell us a little bit of your background? Because you used to have more of like, you were the guy who took the Mobility Report out to the regions. Can you tell us a little bit about that type of work that you did earlier? Yeah, thank you for asking. Yes, yes, I've been editor for the Mobility Report quite a few years now. I think I started already 10 years back, actually. I've been involved a lot in uh, working with the regions as well to bring the Mobility Report out in communication phase and uh, interacting with our customers and our accounts out in the different regions. So I also spent some time actually in Moscow to support our customers there at the time. So it's been very interesting years, I, I would say. Because you know Russian. That's amazing. That's an amazing fact of you. 
And you basically made the importance of having statistics and having global statistics higher up on the agenda for both our customers and the regions of Ericsson to like really to see and plan things properly for the networks, right? Can I say something like that? Yeah, you're you're quite correct, Janina. uh, They're always interested in understanding how how the average figures look like in in the world, but also on different regional differences, of course, to see how is my region doing compared to that region and so forth, and what what is happening in the forward-leaning regions where the Maybe there has been, uh, in this particular example, of course, 5G launched earlier and, and what are the experiences and what is the subscriptions uptake, what kind of traffic is going there and, and what are the data consumption rates and so. So it is definitely so. So depending on, independent of what region you are in, you're always interested in understanding how your region is doing in the, in the total world figures. Yeah. And I guess this is very important for an area like 5G. Like how is 5G doing compared to previous Gs and how is it developing throughout the world? And I think that's why it's been so important to have the stats of the mobility report, Paul, in this podcast ever since I think the second or third episode we've had the mobility report updates to see how 5G actually works. and, and the what's, what's actually happening with 5G, yes. And, and of course, if you're out in the world and, and you know, 5G on its way or 5G has been launched, uh, you know, what better way to see what's going to happen in your market in terms of 5G than to look at some of the markets that have been there from the very beginning and, and what's happening there. And just a very quick recap about our own 5G usage, Paul. I think it's about a year or so now that we've had actual personal 5G phones and we have experienced 5G very differently. You currently have 5G where you live. I don't. Uh. So this is when we come to Ericsson Mobility Report. It's 5G subscriptions. It's 5G coverage and population coverage. And it's 5G subscribers. A lot of things to keep in mind here. But Peter, first of all, last time you said there will be a billion 5G subscriptions at the end of this year. Is that correct? Well, we made that promise, didn't we? Uh, yeah. And it seems like the consumers are listening to us. Actually, we... <laughs> <laughs> so they are they are following the mobility report in that sense, you can say. Cool. In, in this last Q3, uh, in this quarter three, then we actually saw that we are around 870 million 5G subscriptions at the time. I say subscriptions, uh, but that's because you, of course, have two subscriptions, but now at this time, it's most probably so that you have one subscription. So it's almost like the same number of subscribers, I would say. But it's actually looking like typically Q4 is a bit more and higher uptake due to Christmas sales and so. So we need to have 130 million more coming in this quarter for our forecast to come true, uh, actually. But that's definitely what we are believing in. So. Because now it's also 5G launched in India in October. Oh, yeah. 5G was launched by several operators. And we expect that to, to have some good uptake already in, in this three months that are, or now it's only one month left, but this, this three months of the, the quarter four, so to speak. So one billion in the, in the end of this year is a really a milestone for 5G, I would say. Yeah, definitely. One billion, I mean, that's, that's quite a lot. But also the amount 
that it will continue to grow. I just read then that it will grow quite a lot until 2028, which is now the forecast period for this report, right? It's a new year. Yeah, exactly. So we moved the forecast one year and now we see that we're looking forward to 5 billion in end of 2028. And it's a bit interesting because right now 4G subscriptions are topping at 5.2 billion. So uh, from now on, we will see more growth in the 5G subscriptions area. And from 2028, that will, all the traffic growth will come from 5G networks actually in the 5G traffic. So that's sort of the shift we see. We shouldn't forget, of course, that 4G is growing in, in quite a few markets where there is still a, a change from 3G, 2G phones to, to 4G and, and to get connected to the internet for the first time. So, but 5G now is enabling also a lot more subscribers in this emerging market to go directly to 5G as well. I think I saw somewhere, Peter, that it said we've got something like 30% population coverage with 5G at the end of this year. Yeah. And that would mean there's somewhere around two and a half billion people or 2.4 billion people that could have access to 5G. And of those, then we've got maybe a billion people who are actually got a 5G or a billion 5G subscriptions. That's a penetration of about 30% in in the areas where 5G is already rolled out. That's, that's quite good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. And what is driving this is, of course, partly... Well, partly I would say quite a lot, depending on the ecosystem that has developed quite rapidly. There are over 700 different types of 5G smartphone models out in the market already, and the price points on those have gone down. I mean, this, when we started this journey on 5G three years ago, it was 2,000 US dollar for a for a 5G smartphone, and now we're down on the cheapest model. You are talking about 150 dollars US dollars. So it's uh, definitely. Uh, a spread and wide range of different types of smartphone models that can be used by the, the consumers out in the market. But basically, just to close the loop there on the 5G subscriptions, then you're thinking we're going to have a billion 5G subscriptions added every year for, uh, until 2028, right? Yeah, you should say that the curve is getting more and more steep in terms of growth in that it sense. Amazing. Yes. So that's what we see. Will that curve then rise up one year or go down? Or do you have anything like that special? Will 2023 be the year of 5G? <laughs> I think the year of 5G is still ahead of us in terms of uh, when also new services will come to market. Uh, there's a lot to talk about Metaverse and XR and so. And there is a lot of interesting things happening on the, on the chipset side and on the device side there. So when that market will take off, which we definitely believe in, but it will take a couple of years more within this forecast period before that gets a substantial footprint, so to speak. But then we're going to also see uptake in these types of subscriptions as well, and, and not just the smartphone subscription. So there's a lot of interesting things on the device side that will drive that market. We are convinced of that. You have a, even an article in the New Mobility Report about new applications, new 5G devices, right? Yeah, I mean, we we wanted to say a bit more about what we believe in, in traffic growth in, in the outer year of the forecast. We have always, in the last years, we have sort of factored in the, the XR effect on traffic growth so that the, in the outer years, that will actually happen, so to speak. And then beyond our forecast period, there might be really, really big upside if the mass market of AR devices is coming to market. Then we will see even more traffic than we can imagine in our forecast today then. So... 
especially in the uplink, because that would be an important part, of course, for sending up data from your smartphone and not just receiving. Yeah, that's when you're sharing videos and stuff, right? Yeah, when you are um, uh, sort of sending up data from your environment where you are in the world and you are getting augmented information back to the smartphone and uh, different types of services that needs both a downlink and uplink. Yeah. So that's definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, and talking about data, that's another area where, <laughs> where things are rising quite fast, the data consumption in the world. So uh, if I remember last time, we said that it would be uh, 15 gigabytes per month, average data usage. And now... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's the end of this year. And at the end of next year, was it, was it 19? 19. No, yeah, no, that's no, 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 19. <laughs> you were all school with music, to, Paul. I hear that. Easy to remember. <laughs> So from 15 to 19 per yeah. user per month. Yes. Yes. And I mean, you could say that a couple of years back ago, I mean, we primarily saw the, the data consumption growth in, in markets with high GDP, gross domestic product per capita, because, I mean, people have more money to spend on data plans and, and services. But actually, India is one of the top regions when it comes to data consumption, where the smartphone has become the internet access vehicle, actually. Uh, much depending, of course, that 96% of all connections in India to the internet are through a smartphone. So uh, they have all, already over 20 gigabytes per month uh, in consumption. Then, of course, you have more forward-leaning markets like US and Korea, and that, where they're also on, on 25 gigabytes already, doing a lot more video streaming and new type of applications based on both VR and AR. So. And of course, you know, when you talk about India and the smartphone being the primary form of uh, internet access, it's it's obviously important in that market now that they are moving to 5G because it, it gives them you know access to high capacity, higher speeds. You know, the networks itself will support a higher volume of data. Absolutely, and actually, when we look at the India specifically, as you bring that up, it's also so that they have a very high ambition to roll out. 5G fixed wireless access, which means that you can you have an antenna on your window or on the rooftop or even in the in the house, so to speak, and you get a specific service plan then that can provide you with the wireless fiber, more or less. And it's going to be uh, that's why we have actually adjusted our fixed wireless access connection forecast. So uh, we will see much higher numbers than we anticipated just a year ago. So 5G FVA is actually happening both in India and other emerging markets like Mexico and Nigeria and Philippines, where it also has been launched the last 12 months. So it's it's a use case that is definitely valid for 5G right now. Where you can't get fiber, you can get it over the air in the future, I guess. Exactly. Specifically in those countries that, that have problems in rolling out fiber uh, due to uh, well, the, the economical challenges or the geographical challenges or what it might be. So Talking about data consumption, because that's also a good... The F- FWA is, of course, to be able to get data to your house for a number of reasons. And as data is rising now through the roof, that brings on another challenge. And that is, of course, that more data means more energy needed for the network. And then I want to present our second guest for this podcast, Ove Persson. Welcome to the podcast. You are the director of 
energy performance at Ericsson, in Ericsson's sustainability team. And just so previous listeners can know something about you, you work in the same team as a previous guest of ours. Mats. <laughs> Mats. Mats. You mean Mats. our Mats head Pelbeck. of sustainability, Mats, yeah, Mats Pelbeck-Sharp. Mm. Mats Pelbeck-Sharp, thank you. So, but you specialize in the energy efficiency area of networks. And this is, of course, a super fascinating area. And I was so happy when I was talking, well, can we talk about this the new update of the report breaking the energy curve as well then? Can we mention that in this podcast? And you were like, yeah, I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Loved that. Loved that. So, Ove, you now have been part of two articles in the new Ericsson Mobility Report. Tell us a little bit about your work and these articles. Yeah, let's well, let's start with I think you had a question about that data and energy are linked in a way and I think that's a, that's a good starting point for the discussion. I think because a year ago we actually had an article in Mobility Report also that we called Building Sustainable Networks where we showed that the data uh, growth in mobile networks over the last 10 years then 2011 to 2021 was growing about 287 times while the mobile energy only grow 1.6 times. So I think this is important to understand. They don't follow the same growth curves. And I think that, so we, we see good ways to handle the data growth going forward as projected by Peter in his fantastic report. But I think it's still a challenge because we need to continue to be developing really great technology to handle this. And 5G is of course part of that puzzle to solve that. But in this report, uh, we have a, a, a a report about a very forward-leaning operator from UAE, sort of the uh, E-end, uh, formerly called Etisalat. Oh, is that how you call them? E-end? I've always thought, like, because they are E and then a, an A-and sign? Amber, Amber sign. Amber sign, yeah. E-end? Yeah, Peter, maybe you know better than I. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's their rebranding. It's E-end that they are, uh, the former Etisalat group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and but in Arabic. Ah. But I think the, the, the article is in a good way describing their holistic approach to sustainability and, and also their approach on, on working on managing this growing and consumption related to data traffic growth. From that perspective, I think they, they are describing a very nice approach on how they look to meet their net zero targets going forward. Because mm-hmm. they started off with plans to modernize their network and then at the same time uh, lower the energy consumption, right? Yeah, yeah. I think what we found is that modernization is key in mobile networks to lower the total network energy consumption. I mean, if you if you have a network and then you add the most energy efficient technology on top of that, let's say you add 5G, which is the most energy efficient technology, you're still going to add new equipment on top of your existing network. So if you don't do anything more than that, you're actually adding energy since you're adding more equipment out to the networks. So you need to find a way to, to re- reduce the energy consumption in your existing network to make room for a budget and your budget of the new equipment. So modernization is a key part of that. So just adding 5G on top of things, yes, that will be more not energy efficient, but to actually change the radios to be more modernized and cover more spectrums and standards that 
that means lowering then. 5G is more energy efficient, right? Per gigabyte, yeah? It is, it is. Per gigabyte, and we've seen great examples of that. We have customers coming to us and showing what they've measured in their networks, showing that 5G on, on the existing frequency bands, but also on the new 5G mid-band frequencies. They show us great uh, sort of insights on, on actually this is how any more energy efficient it is. In cases, in their case, we've seen for mid-band, what we call mid-band TDD, the mid-band new frequency bands for 5G, that we see seven to 13 times more energy efficient. That 5G, massive is in that more energy efficient. So uh, I think it, it is really a great addition to the mobile networks. I think there's an interesting dimension where we talked earlier about the, the average data throughput per user going up and going up to 19 gigabits. Because as a user, you don't want to pay more for your service, even though you're going to be using lots more data. So, you know, if the more data means more energy, more energy means more cost for the operator and more cost would mean that your the price to you would go up. So it's actually a benefit for the consumer that the operators can actually manage this increasing data traffic without more energy consumption. Uh, and then, of course, from a sustainability, from a climate point of view, of course, we also don't want to be pushing up. In fact, we, we really want to be in a position where we can you know, reduce the carbon footprint, which means managing energy consumption, more use of renewable energy as well. As well. But you can't do that if the energy profile keeps escalating away. You're perfectly on spot there, Paul. I fully agree with that. And I mean, we usually say from a global perspective, mobile networks are having a small impact. Our research shows that the mobile networks represent 0.6% of all electricity use in the world. That's quite low. And also from a carbon emission point of view, we say it's 0.2% of the emissions in the world globally. So from that perspective, it's great that we have this low impact because mobile networks becoming a, a true enabler of, of digitalization in the society. And as Peter was saying, it's, it's the first choice to internet access in, in many countries. And I think that's really a great step forward. But for an operator, it's quite expensive with their energy anyway. And we did an estimate two and a half years ago that globally mobile operators are paying 25 billion US dollars annually for uh, sort of energy for the networks. That is quite a lot of money. And that was before the pandemic, that was before the financial chaos or chaos maybe, uh, the, the, the energy crisis, let's say that at least. And now we expect that the, the, this is cost is even higher than this. Yeah. And of course, with current energy price chaos, <laughs> the, the crisis, energy price crisis in Europe, I mean, this, this is high up on the service providers agenda uh, out there to be more energy efficient. And then you don't want those bills to go up and skyrocket. It seems like that the C and Etisalat, that they have a quite a big goal here with being um, net zero by 2050 following the country goal and the Paris Agreement there, which is great. And they seem to have a, a lot of different ways to make sure that this comes to fruition. And one of them was also, I think, going from diesel powered sites to perhaps solar powered or wind powered. 
it seems to be a, a good place for solar power. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it, from a solar perspective, yes. But they, they also have sandstorms. So it's kind of a challenging environment to have solar set up. We have that from many customers in the region. So, But of course, using renewable energy, it could be solar panels, it could be wind farms and fuel cells. But I mean, in combination with sort of lithium-ion batteries on the site. You can actually have a very energy lean site as well as running most of the time on renewable energy, given that you're off-grid in a sense. If you're on-grid, you, you will use the electricity from the grid, of course. Mm. But you can mm. also do combinations of that to handle price peaks and, and other sort of, yeah, depending on the grid energy mix. And it also seems to be quite cool the way they are now using that the sites sort of go down or turn off during some hours of the day when the traffic is not so big. Those kinds of sleep mode, we've heard about those in the podcast before, and that's also a way to, to save on a lot of energy for networks, right? It is. Sleep modes are a smart way of using low traffic periods to switch off parts of your equipment. It could be antenna branches or even sort of even cell and frequency bands. And you do that on capacity layers in a sense. You, you keep the coverage layer in a smart way. So you always have access as a user. But I think Etisalat has, uh, or EAND has done a lot of improvements here. They're using a lot of smart functions that works on, on short range. And uh, what we have within Airson called microslip TX that sort of uses short periods of non, where you don't need to transmit as a, from the radio, to switch off the radio. And then longer periods when you can utilize and putting equipment into some, some longer sleep modes, like SSL, switching off antenna branches or sleeping the cell completely. I would say those are actually functions that uh, benefit from the use of machine learning and, and AI, because what, one of the things in the past with that type of function is that an operator is, you know, you schedule when you want to turn something off overnight when there's nobody around or not many people around, but then you're susceptible if the traffic suddenly comes up, then you're not in a position to react to it or you, you have very imprecise guidelines for when you can safely turn down the energy consumption and not affect the traffic. But machine learning is gives you that flexibility for actually being, you know, learning that it's it's okay to turn it off until 12 minutes past five in the morning, because that's when people get up and put the kettle on and start surfing. But if you scheduled it to 5.30 in the morning, then you'd be affecting the, the user experience. So you know, the, the system can learn much more dynamically using AI and ML than you can do by trying to schedule it with a with an engineer sitting saying, hmm, what time shall I turn this back on again? <laughs> Are you calling engineers stupid, Paul? <laughs> yeah, I like this with a kettle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. But we've always said that automation comes into this gap between, you know, automation is very good for doing lots of repetitive, boring stuff that is low skill and you don't really need an engineer to do that. Uh, but it's also very good at using for things which have very large numbers of inputs, which is quite difficult for a human to actually take all of that information and make sense of. And that's where you can apply things like machine learning, which kind of absorbs that information and translates it into a result. Yeah, I fully agree with that. It is part of 
that you need to actually do tuning on a cell level. And if you have tens of thousands of cells in a network, it's difficult to do that manually, right? So yeah. you tend to set it on, on a similar threshold levels across the network. So to do this adaptation, you need AI and machine learning actually to help you. And that also lowers the complexity overall. So we see in adding these kind of capabilities to energy saving functionality actually gets them deployed and used as well. So it, it is sort of, in a sense, adding more savings to the network by adding this because then, then the operators tend to use them more. So I think that's mm. it's a great step going forward now. Yeah. And in the report, there is also the other side of energy efficiency, and that's how enterprises can become more energy efficient using ICT, right? So that side of also energy preservation and sustainability. And, and there is a lot more interesting articles as well, Peter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we also have a very interesting example on how Finland is actually building a safer a safer Finland with terms of uh, public safety networks, which is supporting society and organizations that are responsible for security and for first responder kind of services. And people listening to the podcast will recognize that case of Rillesverkot. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We have to go through uh, special training to learn how to say that. Janina is our expert on Rillesverkot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And more. It's a lot of amazing stats there. And also, I mean, we can just talk about this forever. And you're like, oh, but it's so interesting that Australia is like, have, have this really big population coverage. And in Singapore, it's 95% 5G population coverage. Like, oh, there is so much stuff in Mobility Report every time. It's an amazing publication, Peter. You should be so proud. Nice. Glad to hear. We are many working on it from different parts of Ericsson, so it's really a teamwork, I would say. And, and as you mentioned, we have a nice feature article on Southeast Asia, Oceania area, which is a lot of different countries in different maturity phases when it comes to 5G. But many countries there has a really strong agenda for digitalizing society and make use of the 5G as a technology to actually contribute to the economic growth in the future in a post-COVID world, so to speak. So lots of interest in that region that will just grow, we think, in, in terms of 5G uptake, both for industries and for, for consumers. And I think if you're a techie and you're interested in the in the progress of 5G as a technology, there's even an interesting little technology roadmap in there that talks about the different things which are coming into standardization or coming into networks over the next two to three years. Things like different forms of dual connectivity and carrier aggregation and those little techie bits. Yeah, that's, that's something from everyone, I hope. For <laughs> love. <laughs> but when we talk about communication, I think it's also quite interesting to... We looked into a bit different type of networks with the consent of, of the customer, of course, to, to see what kind of um, video traffic there is, because video is 70% of all the traffic today on mobile networks. So it's really a, a lot of video streaming. and. What we can see there in this example is actually the, the more and more power of social networks when it comes to sharing videos and to consume videos on social social media platforms rather than just video on demand, which was more featured a couple of years ago. There's still a lot of traffic from video on demand, but the social media platform has 
actually taking over that as the prime drivers for for video traffic in, in many networks. So it's a, definitely a, an interesting feature that we are looking into. It's the TikTok and those kinds of video social media apps, I guess. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, it was only YouTube, more or less. That was sort of the platform that, that was dominating in mobile video traffic. But now there's a much more fragmented market and more players of still global players. Yes, there are more uh, than, than just one, actually. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Peter and Ove, to, for being on the podcast. We love having you here talking about both on report and sustainability, energy efficiency and network. I'm sure we'll have you back shortly. But thanks for this time. Thank you, Janina. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> thank you so much. So that was the interview with Peter and Ove. And the mobility report. And the mobility report. Special sustainability and energy efficiency topic. Good. Uh, just one thing that I wanted to clarify now afterwards that I'm not sh- really sure if I'm what I said in the interview, but just to clarify. So the U- UAE, uh, United Arab Emirates, they have proclaimed net zero by 2050, while uh, the uh, E-AND, uh, Etisalat group, has pledged commitment to achieving net zero within its group's own applications in the UAE for scope one and two emissions by 2030. Just so, (laughs) I don't know if I mixed up the numbers there, but just in case, it's UAE 2050 and E and 2030. 2030, 2030, a bit more aggressive. And and just for completeness sake, when when I talked earlier and the tech tech ramble about the the US and use of frequency bands there, it should have been 3.7 and 3.9 gigahertz. Ah, four gigahertz. That was our little errata. (laughs) Little little. Uh, that, uh, that was today's tech confession. <laughs> tech errors done. Okay, good. Corrections corner. That's what I was looking for, right? Our Sorry. little corrections corner. Thanks so much for listening. And bye. bye. <laughs>5gpodcast at ericsson.com Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback, so please reach out to us.
Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schiester, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems. We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.